It's great to have you guys with us this morning as we kick off a new series here at Southwood and, and throughout Grace. As we thought some about, you know, what, what should we cover this spring? One of the things that's really convenient, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you want to know, like, what are the questions that Americans are asking? What are the things that Americans want to get better at? All you have to do is go to Amazon and click on their bestseller list and see what are the books people are buying. And you can filter it by category. So I went and I checked out this week. Amazon's bestsellers this week, right here at the beginning of 2020, what are their bestsellers for self-help books? So like books about improving yourself. It's the new year. Everybody's making new resolutions. Everybody wants 2020 to be better than 2019. So what are the things that people want to get better at in our country? You just look at that bestseller list. And there were a couple of things that jumped out at me. First of all, this is interesting. Four of the top 11 books on Amazon's bestseller list use a really bad word in their title. Like that word, like a few years ago, like when you were a kid, like they would make a movie like instant R rating if it had this word in it. And now it's right there on the title of these books. And and I laughed at that a little bit because I thought what marketer thought that was a great idea, especially like down here in the Bible Belt. Because like if I buy your book, I I can't go read it at a coffee shop because one of you will see me and you'll think, what is wrong with our pastor? And I can't read it at work because, I mean, I work at a church. Come on. And, and I can't read it at home because I have two elementary age kids who are going to freak out if they see me reading a book with that on the title. I have to cover it like we did back in elementary school. I guess maybe that works in New Jersey. I don't know. It doesn't really work down here. Second thing that jumped out at me from looking at this bestseller list, six of the top 15 books on improving yourself on Amazon.com right now are about relationships. Six of them. So uh, they're about how to better connect with one another. Uh, so right there at number one, top spot on bestseller list nonfiction, Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, right there at the top. Uh, a little later down, you have Boundaries by Henry Cloud. That one's been around for a long time. Then I love the title of this one, Awkward, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome. I totally identify with that book. Um, then How to Win Friends and Influence People. That has actually been a bestseller since the 1930s. I remember seeing that book when I was a little kid. Then Never Split the Difference, a book on how to negotiate with others. And then rounding out the top 15, The Five Love Languages, which has been on that list for 25 years. So you look at that and it's clear that if it's time to preach a sermon series, and I want to preach on something that everyone will connect with and everyone will pay attention to, what better to preach on than relationships? Because it is what we are all worried about. It is what we are all trying to improve in our lives. It's what we all care deeply about. Everyone here wants to get better at their relationships, whether that's your relationship with God or your parents or your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your coworkers, your boss. Everyone wants to improve the the relationships in their life. We as a nation are desperate to get better at relationships. And so Brian and Matt and I, over the next eight weeks, are going to teach you what the Bible says to each of these relationships in your life. We want to help you to see the the really practical, really relevant direction that we can find in Scripture for healing and improving every relationship in our lives. But before we get into those specific relationships this week, we want to kind of step back and look at what does the Bible say about relationships in general? What does God have to say to us in his word about the nature of these relationships that we care so much about? And so this morning, I'm going to try to use God's word to help you answer four really important overarching 
questions. So first, we're going we're gonna to try to answer the question, where do relationships come from? Like, where does that desire to relate even come from? Second, why are we as a species so relational? Why do we so desperately want relationships with other people? Then third, we're going to ask, why are relationships so hard? Why are they so often broken and messy in our lives? And then finally, we're going to answer the question, when a relationship is broken and hurting, where do we go for help? Where do we go for healing? Okay, so let's jump right in. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So we're going to start with that first question. Where do relationships come from? This desire that we have to relate to one another, this need that we have, where does that come from? What's the foundation of that? Well, this is a time when the Sunday school answer is correct. The foundation of all relationships in your life is God. Now, this is going to get kind of deep. I want you to hang with me because this is really fascinating. The foundation of every relationship in your life is actually the Trinity. The the Father, Son, and Spirit, one God and three persons, eternally equal, eternally related to one another. That is the foundation, the basis, the source for every relationship in your life. I want you to think for a moment, what would your life be like if your God was not Trinity? So what if your God was what we would call a monopersonal God, meaning one God and one person? So that'd be like Allah, the God of Islam, or it would be like the, the God of non-Trinitarian Judaism, so what Jews worship today. So one God who is one person. Well, if your God was one person, then before he created, what would he have known about relationships? Nothing. Before he created, what would God have known about love? Nothing. Because both love and relationships, by definition, require another. Logically, they're impossible without another. And so for the God of Islam or the God of of Judaism, creation was needed in order for God to experience relationships and love. They were impossible without us. He needed us so that he could exist in relationship and, and know what love is. And yet, I want you to look instead what the Bible says about your God, this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally in relationship with one another. John seventeen twenty four. Father, this is Jesus speaking, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me Before the foundation of the world. What Jesus is saying in this really significant passage. We're going to study this whole chapter later this semester. It's so beautiful. He's telling us that there has never been a moment. In which our God was alone. From eternity past. God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. Have always been in perfect relationship with one another. Enjoying perfect love with one another. God didn't need us to figure out what love is. He has always had perfect love and perfect relationship within the Trinity. That is ultimately where love comes from, is within the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit loving one another. That is so fundamental to the nature of God that in the book of 1 John, John says this, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 
In other words, the fundamental nature of our Trinitarian God is love. He has always been love. He will always be love. He has always known and perfectly experienced and expressed love. That's not actually true of all of God's attributes. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Realize before creation, God never had an opportunity to experience or express mercy or forgiveness. Right? Because by definition, what's mercy? What's forgiveness? It's how a gracious God treats sinful creatures. So for God to know and experience mercy or forgiveness, what had to be? Creation. You had to have sinful creatures for God to express those attributes, but not love. God has always known and experienced love because God is Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit eternally related to one another, united perfectly in love. And so what that means is so significant. Creation was not motivated by God's need for companionship. God didn't create because he was lonely. God has always had perfect companionship and perfect love within the Trinity. No, creation was motivated out of an overflow of the infinite love that binds the Trinity together. Creation was the gift of a relational God wanting more others with whom to share his infinite love. So God created out of love. God's love is the source of all relationships in our lives. So I know for for a lot of us, we may feel like this whole Trinity thing is a liability for our faith. Man, it would be so much easier to explain Christianity if God wasn't Trinity because it's crazy confusing. Yeah, it is hard to wrap our minds around, but I would actually say it's the opposite. Trinity is one of the strongest arguments for the truth of Christianity. Because first of all, who's going to make that stuff up? Second... Because Trinity is the only explanation for this need we have for relationships and love. Why do you need relationships and love? Because you were created by a Trinitarian God who has enjoyed and experienced perfect relationships and love for all eternity. So our Trinitarian God is the source of all relationships and he is also the perfect model for all relationships. So if you want to know how to do better at any relationship in your life, whether it's with your parents, your kids, your spouse, your boss, your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever it might be, your model is the Trinity. Every single relationship in your life can be made better if you learn from the Trinity. The way that the Father lifts up the Son, the way that the Son submits to the Father, the way that the Spirit serves both the Father and the Son. It is the model for all of our relationships. And so the Trinity is the source and the model for every relationship in your life. The only reason you can love is because God first loved within the Trinity. And that's actually one of the more famous verses in the book of 1 John. We love because he first loved us. He has always been the source of love. So that's where relationships come from. Every relationship in your life is founded upon the Trinity. Second question for us. Why are we as a species so relational? Why are humans so desperate to be in relationship with others? Or you might put it this way. Why are six of the top 15 books on Amazon self-help list about relationships? Why do we care so much about relationships? Well, this one is also fairly easy to answer. It's because God created us for relationships. When God created human beings as a species, he created us to have relationships. I had a professor in seminary 
His name is Dr. Jeff Bingham. And Jeff grew up the son of missionaries in Madagascar, so off the coast of Africa. They were pioneering missionaries. When Jeff was 11, he got it in his mind that what he wanted above all else in life was to become a Boy Scout. That's just like, that's what he, what he dreamed about. And so he, he got shipped to him a Boy Scout manual, and he read it from cover to cover, the whole thing. He desperately wanted to be a Boy Scout. There was just one problem. Not a lot of Boy Scouts in Madagascar. There were no troops for him to join. And, and so he was really sad about that. So his dad did some research, and he found that the Boy Scouts actually have a solution to that. It's called the Lone Scout Program. You can be a Boy Scout in a troop of one person. So Jeff signed up for that. He became a lone scout and he began to do the things that Boy Scouts are famous for doing. Like he would go camping alone and he would build a campfire alone and he would roast marshmallows alone and he would hold club meetings alone. And it wasn't too long before Jeff realized this is silly. This is ridiculous because the nature of Boy Scouts is that you do things with other kids. Like, like that's the whole point of it. It's not Boy Scouts if it's not plural. The essence of Boy Scouts is community. Well, so it is with humanity. The essence of being human is relationships. You were designed for relationships. You cannot be fully human without relationships. It's part of your DNA. And that takes us all the way back to the very beginning. Let's look at the fundamental nature of what it means to be human from the creation of humanity. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is when our species enters the picture. God creates the human race. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The first thing I want you to notice there is is how the pronouns are all plural. God says, let us make humankind, that's all of us, in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule. God didn't say, let me make a guy in my image, after my likeness, so he may rule. No, it's, it's all plural. It's all community, right from the very beginning. We're told that we as a species are made in the image of God. It's unique to humanity. It's an incredible honor. So what does it mean to be made in the image of a relational God? It means you were created to live in relationships with others. You were created to be in relationship first with God. First and foremost, you were created to be in relationship with God. How do we know that? Because of the labels God chose for himself and for you. God is God, so he gets to choose the names. He gets to choose the name for himself. He gets to choose the name for us. So as the creator chose names for himself and for us, what names did he pick out of all possible names? Well, here they are, 1 John 3. See what sort of love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. And indeed we are. Out of all possible names, God the creator chose the name Father for himself And child for you. And that's incredible if you think about that just for a moment. Just think about how amazing that is. It is not incredible that I and my son, Luke, would be called father and son. That that makes sense. Why? Because he's a lot like me. We're the same kind of thing. He's just a little me. Actually, if you see him, he really is like a little me. (laughs) So it makes sense that I would be his father and he would be my child. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense that the creator would call himself father and us his children. 
It would make so much more sense for him to call us slave, creature, dust. Because that's all we are compared to him. We're not the same kind of thing as him. We're not just a little him. We're utterly different. We're fallen, finite, sinful creatures. He's the almighty, infinite creator. And yet he chose these deeply personal, deeply intimate labels of father and child. Why? Because he wants you to know that above all else in your life, the core of your identity is he's your dad and you're his kid. That's actually the most important label that you have in life. So all of us have lots of labels, lots of little tags, descriptions that we go by. Maybe you have the label wife and mother and and lawyer and Aggie and Texan and, and kombucha drinker. And you have all these labels in your life. All right, that's fine. All of them are meaningless compared to the most important label of all, child of God. He is your father. You were created as a creature to be in relationship for all eternity with your creator. Okay, so the fundamental nature of humanity, number one, is to be in relationship with our God. But second, it's also to be in relationship with one another, with other humans. How do I know that? Because of what God says in just like the the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said of Adam, this is when Adam was the only human, The only human created, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I'll make a helper or a companion for him who corresponds to him. I think it's really significant to get the timing clear here. You realize at this point when God says it's not good, you notice Adam already has a relationship with God. They actually have a great relationship. From what we can tell, God and Adam walked together in the cool of the day in the garden side by side. Adam had a better relationship with God than any of us. Great relationship with God, and yet God says it is still not good. It's not good for him to be alone. This is important for Christians to understand, because sometimes I think that Christians think, hey, I've got Jesus, me and Jesus against the world. If I've got Jesus, I've got everything. It's all good. Jesus would say, no, it ain't. No, because Jesus made you to be in relationship with others. Your life is not good if you are in isolation. Jesus made you to be in relationship both with the Father and with other human beings. And so God provides a solution for Adam. You know the story, he provides Eve. Now, they were united in a particular relationship called marriage. But the principle here is far bigger than marriage. It's important to understand that. Adam's problem was not that he was single. How do I know that? Because Jesus was single and Jesus didn't have any problems. Jesus was perfect. He had everything he needed in life. So this isn't really about marriage. It's about isolation. Adam's problem was that he was utterly alone. He had no other humans that he was in relationship with. And isolation is deadly. Human beings living in isolation from other humans is a deadly situation. That's actually been proven by a lot of research lately, especially on solitary confinement within prison systems. There's been a lot of research in the last few years about this. So a 2008 article in Scientific American about solitary confinement of prisoners found that solitary confinement greatly increases the risk of self-harm, suicide, depression, memory loss, cognitive decline, and actual loss of brain function. Prisoners kept in isolation, their brains shrank because isolation is so bad for us. One of the scientists they interviewed, a professor of neuroscience at the University of Michigan, stated, social deprivation is bad for brain structure and function. Loneliness in itself is extremely damaging. 
That's why there's a, a significant push to limit the use of solitary confinement in our prisons. Anything over 15 days does permanent damage to human beings. Because we were designed to live in relationship and we suffer without it. The fundamental nature of the human species is to be in relationship with God and one another. We must have that. That is what we were created to exist within. And so that begs the third question. If we were created for relationships, if if relationships with God and one another are a fundamental part of our DNA as human beings, then why are we so bad at them? Why do we mess up relationships so often? Why do we hurt one another and get hurt by one another? Why are relationships so difficult for us? Why are they so messy and so tricky? That leads us to our third point. So what does the Bible say about the the pain and difficulty of relationships? Why are they so hard? Well, because sin has broken all of our relationships. Every single relationship in our lives has been broken by sin. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3. So Titus is towards the end of your Bible. One of the last letters written by Paul. Titus chapter 3, Paul is going to start with some bad news. He is going to tell us what the, the human being is like in his or her natural state. So Paul is going to describe what is a human like if God isn't working. If a human is just doing what humans do. If, if you or I are just doing what comes naturally to us, we're just walking in our own strength, what will our lives look like? So here is the human race in our natural state, chapter 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Isn't pretty. You notice there at the end, all, all the relational words. Humans in their natural state, we spend our lives in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So let's be really clear. Why are relationships in your life broken? Why are relationships in my life broken? Because of us. We're the problem. Not someone else. Not something else. It's us. We're the saboteur in every relationship that we exist within. The sin in us. This sinful bent towards malice and envy and pride and selfishness and hate. That's what hurts and harms and destroys every relationship in our lives. And makes relationships so hard. We're our own worst enemy. And and that reality that we break the relationships we're in, that sin within us damages our relationships, that goes all the way back to the beginning of sin. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. So I'll just read to you. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 3. When the wheels come off, when the human race chooses rebellion, Adam and Eve, they choose to disobey God. They choose sin. I want to read this to you, and I want you to see the relational consequences of their choice to sin. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the forbidden tree, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. What's that? That that desire to cover themselves up. Before this, they were naked and had no issue with that. Now they're trying to cover themselves. What is that? That, That's the birth of shame. That's the entrance of of the experience of shame into the human race. Adam and Eve have never felt shame before. All of a sudden, they feel shame. What do we do? By nature, when we feel shame, we try to cover. 
We try to separate ourselves from others so that others can't see us. So the the perfect vulnerability and transparency and intimacy that Adam, Eve, and God had with each other now is broken. It's lost because shame has entered the human race. let's, Let's keep going. They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I was afraid. This is the first time a human being has felt fear. Adam now, for the first time, experiences fear of God, fear of punishment. He had perfect relationship with God before this. Perfect peace with God has been replaced with fear of God, breaking that relationship. Keep going. And and he, that is God, said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What's that? That's blame. That's the beginning of finger pointing, which we all do in every relationship. We don't take responsibility for our own evil and sin. We point out everybody else's mistakes, what they did wrong. And so blame enters and breaks human relationships. What I find fascinating here when you read Genesis 3 is God has not even yet spoken a word of punishment. This isn't God punishing them. This is just the natural, unavoidable pain that sin causes to relationships. When we sin, it breaks our relationship with God and with one another. It brings all of these things, shame and guilt and fear and blame, into the relationships we care so much about. Sin damages every relationship in our lives. And and this is what all of those books on the Amazon bestseller list This is where they fall short. Because all of those books, they tend to treat the symptoms of our relational dysfunction and not the cause. Now, there's a time to treat the symptoms. There's a time to learn to communicate better and set boundaries better and things like that. That's all good. But if that's where you leave it, if that's all you do, then all you're doing is treating the symptoms, not the cause. What is the cause of every broken relationship in our lives? It's us. It's sin in us. And until you treat that root cause, you have no hope. It doesn't matter how many tips and tricks you learn. You will never get better at relationships until you face and deal with the root cause, which is sin in you. The brokenness, the selfishness, the pride of your human heart. So when we look at our needs when it comes to relationships... Our ultimate need is a spiritual need. It's not a relational need. We need a savior. We don't need more tips and tricks. We need a savior to come into our lives and to save us from the damage that sin causes. We need a savior who can supernaturally heal all the destruction that our sin has wrought upon the relationships that we care about. And so that leads us and answers the fourth and final question as we face the brokenness of relationships in our lives. When we face the pain that is apparent in our relationships, where do we turn for help? When a relationship isn't working well, when it's not all that you wish it would be, where do you go to find healing and help and grow that relationship? Again, Sunday school answer, you go to God. God can heal all our relationships. Now, for a moment, I want to camp on the capitalized word there all. I think that oftentimes Christians 
We have this mistaken sense that the relationship God cares about in our lives is our relationship with him. Because that's spiritual and that's sacred. But all our relationships with other people, that's just human. God doesn't really care about that, right? Wrong. Jesus busted that myth in one of the most significant passages in his teaching ministry, the great commandment Jesus said. He was asked by a Pharisee, by a scribe, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Okay, so, yes, Jesus says, yeah, your relationship with God, that is the most important. That's the first and foremost one. But, following right on its heels, is your relationship with other humans. And in fact, they're so important. I think it's interesting here. How many commands did the Pharisee ask for? One. What is the one most important? Jesus said, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You don't get one. You get two, because you must have both. God cares as much about your relationships with other people as he does your relationship with him. In fact, you, you can't say that you're growing to love God more if you're not growing to love other people more. First John makes that absolutely clear. In First John, it tells us the person who says he loves God but hates his brother is lying. You can't have one without the other. God cares about all the relationships in your life. And the great news is God can heal all the relationships in your life. So let's go back to Titus 3. We looked at the bad news. Now let's look at the good news. Titus chapter 3. Let's pick it up right after the bad news in verse 3. So spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and and hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared... He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Here, all all these relationships, the Trinity right here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, together this Trinitarian God who loves you so much has brought salvation. He's brought salvation through Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. So, So the gospel says that we're sinners. We can't earn our way to God. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't fix our sin problem because all the things in verse 3 are true of us by nature. So God, in love, he chose to send his son Jesus to save us. Jesus lived the perfect life. We can't. He died for us as as a sacrifice for our sins. And he rose from the dead, defeating sin and Satan and death once and for all. And now he offers This gift of salvation to everyone who will simply say yes. Make sure we're clear about that. Salvation is an absolutely free gift that Jesus earned for you. You don't work for it. As Trey said earlier, you don't try to pay it back. It's not how it works. It's a free gift Jesus earned and he gives it to you. No strings attached. All you have to do is say yes. Jesus, I believe you're my savior. I believe you died for me and rose for me so that I could have the forgiveness and eternal life I desperately need. The moment that you say yes to that gift that Jesus offers, then then Paul here, he tells us in verse five, something happens, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Third member of the Trinity comes in your life and he does two things instantly. First, he washes you. And washes, this idea of washing is the idea of forgiveness. All of your sins, past, present, and future are washed away. They are gone. The Old Testament, it tells us God takes your sins and separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. How far is east from west? Infinite. 
They're theoretical constructs. You can't get from one to the other. They're infinitely far apart. That's how far God separates your sin from you, past, present, and future. That happens instantly. But then in that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to do something that isn't over in an instant. He renews you. To renew means to make something new again. The Holy Spirit begins to take all the things that were broken and killed by sin and makes them new. He brings new life. He brings healing to you. And I think this is so significant because so often as Christians, we see the word saved. And what do we think? We think saved from hell. Well, you get that. That's good. You trust in Jesus. You're not going to hell. You get that. But that's not all saved means. God is interested in far more than just saving you in the next life. He wants to save you in this life too. He wants to save you from the power and the consequences of sin in this life too. And that's what renew is about. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. If you will let him, he will transform and bring newness in everything, including your relationships, even those relationships that seem too far gone, that seem too broken, too painful, too hard. The Holy Spirit can make all things new. He can bring the healing and the hope and the growth that you so desperately seek. And so that leads us to our application this morning. What are we going to do with all this truth that we have just learned? Well, I got to spend time with my brother and sister-in-law over the break. They're down from D.C. and we had a wonderful week together. They go to a charismatic church and I love their church. I have come to appreciate the differences in different denominations. We each have strengths. We each have weaknesses. The strength of their church and particularly of my sister-in-law is incredible faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Incredible faith in the power of the Spirit to transform that which is broken in our lives. And spending time with her convicted me that so often in my sermons, I get up here and at the end of the sermon, I tell you what to go do. And I'm going to still do that some, because, you know, that's what I think I'm paid to do. I need to tell you what to do. But, but sometimes I just need to stop, and instead of telling you what to do, I need to invite you to pray that the Holy Spirit would do something. That he would do something miraculous and supernatural in your life. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit in his infinite power, and in his infinite ability to work miracles in your life, to heal and transform a relationship that seems broken and painful. So in particular, let me challenge you with a few questions. I want you just to think for a moment, and then I'm going to give you some time to pray. I want you to think which one relationship in your life right now most needs God's supernatural work. Which relationship do you look at and you say, man, that's the one that is so, it seems so impossible for me to make it better. I need God's touch. Or maybe it's one that's like, it's it's a new relationship and I'm so confused and I don't know what to do with it and I feel out of my league and you need God to step in. You you need God to to bring his wisdom, his power to that relationship. Which one relationship are you most desperate to improve? Maybe it's a relationship that has been estranged or broken for for years, for decades. It's like there's no way this is ever going to get better. Or maybe for you, you feel all the way back to the beginning of the sermon, you feel isolated. You feel alone. You're desperate for relationships and you don't know how to find them. But what you need to pray for is that the Holy Spirit would come in and give you the community that you crave. Everyone here desperately needs to get better at relationships. And only the Holy Spirit can ultimately make that happen. We need his miracle-working power if we're going to experience the, the love and the connection that we find in the Trinity. So I want us to go together before the Lord and ask him to work this miracle through his Holy Spirit this coming year. We're actually going to pray to the Holy Spirit, which I know we don't do a whole lot, but we invite you to do that and ask the Holy Spirit to heal, transform, and grow some relationship 
that seems broken in your life. Lord God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you that you are Trinity. We praise you that Father, Son, and Spirit, you have existed together in perfect unity and perfect love for all eternity. We praise you that you have never been alone, that you've never been lonely, that you've never been lost, that instead you have been so loving, so united, that, that you let that love overflow into creation. You, you made us specifically so that you could share the love of the Trinity with us. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you, the Almighty Creator, would call yourself our Father, our Dad. We don't deserve that. We're not even close. We thank you that you would call us your children. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit as a free gift. Through the salvation we find in Jesus, you, Holy Spirit, have come to live within us. And we praise you for that. We, we believe that not only do you live in us, but you have infinite, almighty power, the same power that Jesus worked, the same power that God the Father worked. You have that power to do mighty things in us, to renew that which is broken, to create that which, which we don't know where to find. And so, Holy Spirit, we come before you and we lay at your feet all of the broken relationships in our lives, all, all the relationships that seem wounded, that, that seem confusing, that seem beyond us. We don't know what the next step is. We don't know how to make it better. It seems painful. We lay before you our loneliness, our isolation, asking you to solve that. We lay these things at your feet. And, and right now, Holy Spirit, each of us, we want to come before you and lay a specific relationship, a specific need at your feet. And we pray that over the next two months of this sermon series, as we talk about relationships, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work a miracle in this relationship or in this need. And that you would bring healing and growth beyond anything we have ever imagined. We lay that before you right now, Holy Spirit. Lord God, you created us for relationships with you and with one another. And yet, by nature, we are so bad at them. Our selfishness and our pride, our our malice, our envy, our hate, they infect and destroy every relationship we care about. Our only hope is you. Father, Son, and Spirit, we desperately need you to transform us and grow us, to fill us with the fruit of your Spirit of love and peace and gentleness and patience, the things that bring life and healing to the relationships we care about. We pray, Lord God, that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would create relational health for each of us so that we might live more like you in the Trinity, expressing that perfect love so that all the world may see how good and glorious you are. We praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit. You are glorious. You are worthy of all we have. You are worthy of so much more. We praise you for the joy of getting to call you, Heavenly Father, our Dad. Thank you that you love us. In the name and for the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.